Hi, this is Dot, and you are listening to Inside My Favorite Manuscript, the podcast where we talk to people who love manuscripts about the manuscripts they love the most. And I am very happy tonight to be talking to Aaron Max. Aaron is a medievalist and a digital humanist and an art historian. He covers a lot of bases, and um, I'm really happy to have him here to talk about his favorite manuscript. So... What, what is your favorite manuscript, Aaron? So my favorite manuscript is Houghton Library Manuscript TYP213, because all manuscripts have to have very euphonious names. They do. And that tells us nothing about it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it is a very late 15th century, we'll get into the dating in a little bit, uh, Italian book of hours. It is rather big for a book of hours. So it's about seven inches tall and about five inches wide and about an inch and a half thick. It's about the size of a Dan Brown novel, but it's got a way better storyline to it. <laughs> it is bound. It is not in its original binding, but it's in a very old binding. You can see it here in my hand. Um, it's probably 17th or 18th century. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and I'm and looking, can... so so this is a photo, we've got a photo, and I will be putting this photo and probably a lot of other photos up on the um, on the blog post that is going to go along with this recording, so you'll get to see this too. Um, and you'll also get to see my fingers. Yes. Uh, now, when you open the manuscript, you are presented Ooh. with what you would expect from a book of hours, books of hours were personal devotional manuscripts. They were not part of the organized liturgy of a church or a cathedral or a monastery. Um, and they almost always start with a calendar. What we have here is the first page of the calendar, which starts January 1 with the Feast of the Circumcision. Um, now, if you've ever seen a Book of Hours calendar before, you'll notice that there is a lot of extra stuff going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's talk about the manuscript a little bit, and then we'll come back to the calendar, because Book of Hours calendars are a, a particular love of mine, and I fear if we start talking about it now, we'll never stop. Yeah, I was going to say that you have, a, you have a project, a very interesting project that you've been working on for a while about calendars, but we can talk about that later if, if you don't want to talk about that yet. <laughs> well, I figure we should talk a little bit about the manuscript at large. Okay. All right. So it was unlike most manuscripts that we have from the medieval period, we know an awful lot about how and when and why this was made. Normally, if you look at the catalog entry for a manuscript, it'll say 15th century, Northern mm -hmm. Italy, a humanist hand. Yeah. This was made by a scribe by the name of Bartolomeo San Vito. It was made in Rome. It was made for, um, probably made for Isabella de Este, who was the Marchioness of Mantua, shortly after or right around the time of her marriage to Francesco Gonzaga. That mm -hmm. happened around 1490. Um, we know that it was almost certainly made in two parts. So uh -huh. if you look here, you can see on the left mm -hmm. is folio 13R. Mm -hmm. And on the right is folio 87R. 
Um, and they are they're clearly different. It's not the hand. Is it the is it the hand or is it the ink is different? Everything is different. The ink is super yeah. obvious and different. The yeah. the original part. So in a book of hours, you have several sections. You have a calendar. You have what are termed the hours. So the off, the small office of the Virgin Mary could have the office of the cross or the office of the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. There are a bunch of different bits. You've got psalms. You've got penit- you've got uh, penitential psalms. You've got gradual psalms. In this manuscript, the hours of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which is sort of the critical text for a book of hours, it's it's where mm-hmm. it gets its name, was written about 10 years before the rest of it. And it is in this black hand, this very nice black ink. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else, the calendar, some of the other hours, some of the Psalms was written roughly 10 years later. We don't mm. know why, but for some reason he had this hours of the Virgin kicking around his shop. And then when uh, Ms. Desti got married, he finished it up with all the other things and with all of the decorations. Uh, oh. We believe at least. So when I say we, I don't mean me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the scribe Bartolomeo San Vito lapsed into forgetfulness. We forgot about him for 500 years until the very end of the last century when um, Albina de la Mare published a massive work cataloging every every manuscript of his that we still have, putting them in chronological order, figuring out where he lived at various times, who his patrons were, even cataloging the evolution of his script over time. Wow. So I can't do this, but she could have looked at these two hands and said they were 10 years apart because of changes in the letter forms. Right. Um, and, and it's published, and so we know way more about this manuscript than we would ordinarily know about a manuscript in terms of when and how and for whom it was made. Yeah, I was going to say we have we have not a huge number of books of ours at my institution, but we have a pretty good number. And this amount of information, is it's blowing my mind that we know... And now I'm saying we that that people know that you know so much about about this, and I think that's really interesting that he, um, that he had the you said it was the hours of the Virgin was the part that he had written yep. ten years before, and it was just sort of, as you said, like kicking around and then you know adding to that because I think it's something that I know, I understand could happen because of the way that I know that book manuscripts and especially books of hours are are modular things where you do tend to have these different sections, but actually having an example where a section of it is 10 years older than the rest of it is really kind of blowing my mind right now. I think it's very cool. And we don't have, like, it's possible that he made this originally for, um, for Isabella and then just, it never got finished. And after she got married, it got finished for her as well it's possible it was all one contract that just dragged on oh that's interesting anything's possible yeah it's one of the fun things about manuscript studies is anything's possible really if you just if you just wish hard enough (laughs) 
So the other things that we know about this manuscript are that it was rebound sometime after it was made, but, but early on in the 17th or maybe the early 18th century. Mm-hmm. And then sometime before 1862, some of the beautiful, highly illuminated leaves were cut out. Oh, I knew you were going to say that somehow. <laughs> um, I just knew. Were, <laughs> it does seem to be the way. Um, <laughs> roughly 21 leaves were cut out. Some of them were dyed parchment. So one of San Vito's uh, party tricks was writing on dyed parchment. Purple, yellow, green, red. He would dye the parchment and then write on it, sometimes with black ink, sometimes with gold or silver ink. There's a book Mm -hmm. of hours at the Vatican that is gold and silver on dyed purple pages which is Mm -hmm. as striking as you can imagine yeah i'll find a will find a picture of that and include it in the show notes so people can see what because it really is striking um and some of the pages that were cut out were this dyed parchment Mm -hmm. we don't have any of those the those have been lost to time oh no so if you look here this is the is between two pages. Oh, yes. If you look in very carefully, you'll see there's a little stub of what Mm -hmm. would have been red parchment. Right. Um, We don't have any of the dyed parchment. However, the the Musée Condé in Chantilly, France, which happens to own the most famous book of hours in the world, the the Très Richers of the Duke of Berry, has several leaves from this manuscript has i believe two leaves oh really have full page miniatures Mm -hmm. one of the risen christ talking to mary and one of pentecost with all the apostles glumped together with the the tongues of fire of the holy spirit descending upon them Mm -hmm. and they give a taste of what these missing pages must have looked like those are how we can date when the pages were cut out because we know those were bought at auction in 1862. In in so 1962? In or 1862. 1862, okay. So this was not part of the great early 20th century book breaking of, of great American dealers like Otto Eggie. Right. This happened, we know it happened by then because we know that's when the manuscript leaves were sold. Right. And we know what happened after the binding, because if you look at this picture here, you can actually see next mm-hmm. to the trace of the red parchment, you can actually see where the razor blade cut into yes. the leaf below it. Yeah, there's a nice little slice. Not nice, but there's a little slice in the parchment there. Yeah. And there's, if, if you had a book unbound for rebinding, you wouldn't have bothered to slice it. So yeah. We have a four. Uh, uh, it happens to happen after it got bound. It has to happen before 1862, but that's mm-hmm. a lot of years, and we know nothing about it. Right. Which is sad. That is sad, but it's nice that we some of them, at least a couple of them, survive. Yes. In somewhere. Yeah. Ooh. And we do still have some illuminated letters. Some of the the smaller hours. Um, this is terse, which is in in. In an office, you have sort of the big hours, which are matins, compline, vespers, 
and another one that will come another to me in one. a moment. Um, <laughs> and then those are the earliest and the latest. And in the middle, you have what are the small hours, prime, terse, sext, knowns. That is the first, the third, the sixth, and the ninth hour. So mm -hmm. this is the start of terse, the third hour. And we have a very, let me see if I have a better picture for you. We have a, a figure kneeling in prayer with a very Renaissance style halo where the, the disc of the halo is sort of rotated in three dimensions. So it's floating above his head. There's this huge banderole sort of snaking around him, nothing on it, but mm -hmm. just sort of showing off the 3D skill. Right. The letter is imitating almost a bronze uh, letter that you'd see on a Roman monument. Mm -hmm. And then the text around it is starts out in these um, Roman monumental capitals in gold and blue and pink and green and purple. Just, mm -hmm. again, just showing off what he can do before the text sort of settles into the very plain black with blue and gold and extra capitals. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm really, I'm, I really love the, just even just the few pages that we've looked at so far. It's so, it's, it's like so Italian. Like I look at this, I'm like, it's so Italian because on one hand it, it is sort of simple and almost plain because like French books of ours, you're used to seeing like in the margins, you'll have like lots of stuff going on and like critters and, you know, um, plants and things. And this is like the margins are mostly bare and then you have the text in the middle, but it's just so perfectly written and the ink is, there's so much gold ink in this. And then the colors, it's just gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. It is extremely renaissance in sort mm -hmm. of the art historical way where we're very much used to gothic yes that's that's it it's the renaissance versus the gothic exactly yeah yeah i'm not an art historian so we always a lot of people come on this podcast and we end up saying we're not art historians and then we talk about the art so it's nice that you are actually an art historian so you can talk about Art, art history stuff actually knowing what you're talking about so thank you a little that. bit <laughs> a little bit um so what we have here is another of the preserved capitals this is the start of the office of the dead as evidenced from the rather cheerful looking skeletal figure in the letter mm -hmm. d to start the office and again we have these multicolored words here he's switching color every single letter Mm -hmm. um, and then we have this gigantic capital D with pearls and ribbons around it. It's really pretty. <laughs> it makes me think of a woman's dress almost, just with the color and the beat and the, as you say, like the, the pearls and except for the dead guy in the middle, maybe not for a dress, but I love it. And I've got, there are two more of these nice capitals that I'll, I'll walk you through. Mm -hmm. This is the start of the office of the Holy Cross. And so this is why I'm talking about this manuscript. Uh, about 10 years ago, almost exactly 10 years ago, 
I was just getting started doing manuscripty things. I had a job at Harvard, which I parlayed into taking some classes there and was taking a class on books of hours, partially because I was interested, but partially because the class was half lecture and half practicum at the Houghton Library with hands-on for manuscripts. And that sounded like a fantastic idea. Um, it was taught by Jeffrey Hamburger and Bill Stoneman. Amazing. Are... Exactly. <laughs> yes. And the class started out with several series of lectures, you know, introduction to books of hours, a little bit of, of lead into where we got there. And then one of our assignments was take a book of hours at the Houghton, go into the reading room, look at it, and write about some artistic thing in that book. Because this was an art history class, we had to write about something art. And I picked this one a little bit blindly. And it was, so this was the first manuscript that was ever like mine to work with, not something mm -hmm. I saw in a showcase or not even a class manuscript where six of us stand around and the professor gently turns the pages. This was the thing that I went into the reading room and I sat down and they brought to me and mm -hmm. I got to work with. And since then, I've learned that it's a fantastic manuscript, but I had no baseline. I didn't know this was spectacular. I just knew it was my first and that was awesome. And I had always wanted to handle a manuscript. So my paper in this, in this class was about this leaf, which is the start of the Office of the Holy Cross, which was identified in the catalog as depicting Mary holding the cross. Mm -hmm. And to describe it, we have a giant letter D with sort of abstract designs around it. Within it is a blue field, a woman in sort of a green dress with a red mantle over top of it. She has a very fine veil and a halo and is carrying a cross. And you can see on the arm of the cross a little blood spot. So this is clearly a post-crucifixion cross. But that description didn't sit right with me because we see a lot of Mary. We see a lot of Mary in a book of hours. But but you don't see Mary holding a cross without Jesus around. That's not an image one often sees. She's not wearing blue, which is kind of Mary's signature color. Yeah. And we have other images of Mary in this book still preserved. And there they do maintain sort of her blue color. Mm -hmm. So I thought the catalog was wrong. But it was also my first manuscript and I didn't want to go around saying the catalog was wrong. Mm -hmm. So, so I did some poking around and did some research and I came to the conclusion that this is actually uh, St. Helena. That is Constantine's mother. Ah, because right. Helena is known for finding the true cross. Yes. So that would be a reason for a woman in sort of luxurious clothes to be holding the cross post-crucifixion mm -hmm. and a reason to put it at the start of the office of the Holy Cross because mm -hmm. it all ties together with Helen. Yeah, so that makes sense to me. this page is why I love. Yeah. This page is why you love it. I love that. That's such a great story. 
that this was your this was actually your first your very first manuscript what a fantastic manuscript to have for your first it it's set really... an extremely high bar which uh <laughs> was possibly unfair <laughs> do you now compare every other manuscript you see to this one and go ah not just not good enough you look at other manuscripts and go, well, I guess that's okay, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. And I think you're right. Did you, did they, did they agree with you? Did, uh, did... Yes. I mean, in as much as, as we talked about in class, no one could come up with a good argument why I was wrong. Right. So I'll take it. Yeah. Well, for what it's worth, I that makes sense to me. It makes more sense than Mary. Her not wearing blue is really is really a thing. I think that's yeah. Especially when we have other so this is the start of the office of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And this does have an image of Mary kneeling at sort of a little desk praying, and she is wearing a blue cloak. Very nice blue. Yeah. And Beautiful with that with that gold around the folds yeah it's got gold around the folds and it's got in the decoration there's sort of faux gems and a little faux cameo of an angel mm-hmm now to finish the book we've had all these beautiful images of this humanist hand um and right now this image is the last page of the original text and it concludes the hours. And then on the next folio, we have oh. this. I go, oh, because this, the script is suddenly different. Yes. Uh, yes. There is a second part of this after it was presented probably years after. Mm -hmm. um, we have this late gothic set of prayers to the Holy Trinity and and I haven't found anyone writing about this. Everyone is so mm -hmm. caught up in the San Vito-ness of it that right. I haven't seen any examination of this third phase of the manuscript. Yeah. How many pages is it? That is an excellent a, question. A, uh, a few. I don't remember the exact number. More than just this opening, but but less than 10. Right. And was it the case, if you know, was were there blank leaves sort of at the end of it that somebody came in? Because clearly this the first the first page of this added text is on the verso yes. of that. But were there were there more leaves that were existing that were left the, blank that were written on, or did they actually add leaves to the book? Do you know? They definitely start so this is the there is a page uh oh. it's folio 171 recto mm -hmm. is the end of the san vito work and right. the gothic starts on the verso of that page yes so whether they wrote on fly leaves or whether they started here and then added a couple of leaves i can't say but they okay. definitely worked on at least one side that had already been bound in. That was already there. Yeah. And I'm looking, if you go back, the, 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 the photo that shows the front of the leaf, it really looks like there's a lot of leaves after that. Yes. You know, it looks like a good, a good handful of leaves. 
maybe a whole whole choir, maybe even two choirs, depending on how many leaves the choir has. But yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and nobody's written about this. Not that I have found. Um, it's possible that someone has and they didn't report it in to, to Harvard to put in their bibliography. So there mm -hmm. may be information hiding out there that I haven't seen, but yeah. now, as you mentioned, I have a particular fondness for calendars and books of hours. Yes. Um, so one of the manuscript related projects that I work on is a thing called the Corpus Calendarium or cockle, um, mm -hmm. signified by a little cockle shell. And what I do is I digitize or I transcribe the calendars out of books of hours and interlink the saints so that you can do research about what saints appear mm -hmm. or don't appear in certain manuscripts and other things about it. So I have put this book of hours into my database um, and a link will be provided yes. in the blog post related to this. Definitely. The and I'll probably, if you share the screenshot with me, I'll also, I can also put this in the blog post as well. Perfect. Um, and it's an interesting calendar. So we're going back now to the first image of the start of January. Um, so what we have here on the left-hand side at the top, we have the big letters KL for Kalends, which is the traditional way that you start a month in a calendar. Mm -hmm. And usually it would say like Kalends Januarius has 31 days and 30 nights blah, blah, blah. There's this little verse about the days and the nights and the, the hours in the month. This one has a huge amount of text at the top. Mm -hmm. um, and all of this text over the side, there is much more text about calendary things than you need for a book of hours. And the stuff, so the stuff on the left has to do with the date. So mm -hmm. the, the column in gold and the column in red are the golden numbers and the dominical letters, which together you can use to calculate Easter. Which is very important. Extremely <laughs> important. Yes. The column in blue, also very nice that San Vito color-coded this for educational purposes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The column in blue is the Roman dating. So if you're... A calendar that follows a Roman dating system, you don't count the days of the month, one, two, three, four, blah, 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 31. There are three parts of the month. There's the calends, which is the first day. There is the knowns, which is somewhere around the fifth or sixth or seventh. And there's the ides, which is somewhere around the 15th. And you either describe yourself as the thing. So you would say, the knowns of January or the Ides of March, or you count down to the next one. So in blue, you see us counting down. So the 2nd of January is four until the knowns of January. And then the third is three until the knowns. It is actually pretty uncommon for books of hours to include this. I have some theories, but it is unusual for a book of hours to have this carefully worked out calendar with, mm -hmm. with this sort of much accuracy to it. The other thing that's unusual is over on the right-hand side, you see text like semi-D or dupe X ma or mm -hmm. dupe X maius. 
these are describing the size of the feast in liturgical terms. So a feast can be simplex, that is single, it can be duplex, it can be duplex major or duplex minor. Mm -hmm. And that has meaning that I can't really explain about how you celebrate that, that feast in a church, whether you have how many lessons you have at matins during the office and things about the nature of the mass. None of that is really relevant to a person at home doing their personal devotion from a book of hours. No. And I can confirm I've never seen, I've looked at a lot of calendars and books of hours and I've never seen one that looks like this. This is, I would say less than 5% of the books of hours calendars have this. And the ones mm -hmm. where you see it are sometimes ones that have sort of a known monastic origin, mm -hmm. either made mm -hmm. for a monk or a nun, or right. in the context of, this is very unusual. Mm -hmm. Also unusual is this giant blob of text over on the right-hand side, which is telling you things about when um, Lent will start but this is january and lent can't start in january so no. this is like keying you up for things that are going to happen later in the calendar um, right. you notice here it says stuff about the the bisexuous day the the leap the leap day right in a in a calendar of this type isn't february 29th it's referred to as the bisexual day because you double up the sixth day before the calends of March, which is okay. February 23rd, I want to say. Right. And then you just have two of those. You just have two of those. Again, I don't know why. It worked. It worked. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Wow. Ooh, here's another calendar page. So this is the second half of January. Oh, wow. And again, notice up in the top-hand corner, we have markings about the start of the zodiac signs. Yes, that is, Sol and Aquario. That is yes. not super common, but not nearly as rare as the, duple, the duplex and the simplex indications. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the bottom, we have, oh, there's a cat. Uh, at the bottom, <laughs> we have pieces of a poem that tell you about um, the days, the good luck days and the bad luck days of the year. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I haven't seen that. Yeah, as far as the, the sort of noting the sign of the zodiac, you know, it's very common to see to include little little miniatures or rondels that have the zodiac signs in them. Um, but this one clearly doesn't. This is a very plain, again, very plain and perfect and beautiful um, calendar that doesn't have those. The, the other one that you tend to see is the labors of the month, which also isn't here. And now I'm trying to think if those are things that you actually see in Italian, other Italian books of ours, and I'm totally blanking because... So just to give a comparison, um, mm -hmm. 
This is the start of February from also a Houghton Library manuscript. This is Richardson 42, the DeBuzz hours. Um, mm -hmm. A little bit earlier, this is from the start of the 15th century, but it does have all the things that you would expect from a high Gothic French Book yes. of Hours calendar. We've got yes. Pisces up in the corner. We've got a labor of the month at the bottom. We've got crazy leaves in spirals all around the border. Mm -hmm. And we've got a saint on every single day right. using red and blue for the normal saints and then gold to point out uh, candle mass on February 2nd. Yeah. And then we we don't have the well, I see Ides, I see nons, Ides and Calends, but they're they're not numbered. Right. In the yeah, they're not numbered. There's just as N and then ID and then KL. And something so. you actually see interesting in some calendars is they will indicate the knowns or Ides or Calends, but they don't want to write it on every line, so they will stretch it up vertically to cover four or five or six lines and sort of this weird distorted letter i'm gonna have to look next time because i'm trying to think of you know i think i don't pay attention because i i'm 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 um fuzzy on what exactly like you just you just explained a little bit earlier what those columns are and and every time somebody explains them to me i say oh yes that makes sense and then i kind of forget and then I'm looking at a, and then I'm looking at one. They're so, they're just so different from, you know, what we think of as calendars. And I need to get better about remembering what the, what the columns are. Maybe this is my, this is my sign that I need to get more, more comfortable with working with working with calendars because I don't think they're actually that, um, that complicated. No, there's. The if you want to use the golden numbers and the dominical letters to actually calculate Easter, that's a bit of an annoying thing to do. But mm -hmm. just to understand that the golden numbers have to do with the 21 year lunar cycle and the dominical letters are seven days for the seven days of the week. Mm -hmm. That's all you yeah. really need to know, I think. That's and that's easy enough. That's easy enough to remember. I should remember that. Can we look at the other one some more? <laughs> of course. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. Um, oh, I love. Oh, that's so, nice. It has. Go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say, so not only do they have little bits of gold letters, but often in a devotional or liturgical manuscript, you have what are termed rubrics, which are not the prayers, but are the meta texts that tell you what to do. They might say, in a in a missal, it might say, here is where the priest stands and crosses himself three times. And obviously the priest doesn't say, here's where I stand and cross myself three times. They're the stage <laughs> directions. Yeah. Um, normally, and they're termed rubrics because traditionally they're in red ink to you know, differentiate them from the regular black ink. But red is not enough for this manuscript. So here, the regular text is in black, and all of the rubrics are in gold. Mm -hmm. So here we have some information about what sort of prayers you would say. There's the last prayer, and then it says in gold, this is the end of the hours of the Blessed Virgin Mary following the use of the Roman Church. Mm -hmm. And 
there probably there's a blank page and then there probably would have been a gorgeous full page miniature on the next page but it's gone and it's gone yeah poop that is it's so it's so pretty it's just so so pretty oh i had a question um about how we know who the scribe was did he sign them or is it just a matter of of identifying um like knowing his script well enough to being able to to recognize it or was there like a line a line of um oh you know ownership that we have that that we know do you know don't i don't know of a colophon in this a, a line that says I, Bartolomeo Sanvito, wrote this. I believe yeah. it was done either either the, the information was maintained in some sort of documents or more likely just by recognizing the hand. Um, mm-hmm. His hand is very distinctive. Yeah. Yeah. It It is a really lovely one. Did he also do the art or, did, or is there a separate artist yes. who did the nope, artwork? No, he did everything. Did everything. Yeah. And probably his the artwork is probably also really helpful in identifying him. Um, if, I mean, not me, but I know that art historians, but my colleague, Nick Herman, is an art historian and he he sort of is very good at recognizing styles of artists and who is influenced by who else. So that probably helps a lot. Um, something that's interesting is, apart from doing whole manuscripts, San Vito sometimes was hired to just decorate a manuscript or in certain cases just to do the titles. So these elaborate Roman titles he does with the alternating colors, he would. He, there are a couple of examples where he simply was hired to do those for a manuscript that someone mm-hmm. else had written. Yeah, I'm not surprised. They're really striking. Um, and the 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 letters themselves are very well written. Like he's clear, he's very clear and careful. Um, but the, the way he does the color um, is really neat too. And I assume, I know very little about scribes, but I assume he would make his own ink too. Um, I don't believe you know? so. I believe that oh, okay. was a different job. Mm-hmm. Um, at least, or, or it was probably, it was possibly done by an assistant in the workshop. Okay. Yeah. And the, the parchment too, then I'm guessing that he would have bought that already dyed. Yeah. And I, I, now for the dyed parchment, Mm -hmm. I would not say I know nearly enough to whether he dyed that or whether they were people dying parchment. It's such a rare thing to see the dyed parchment in manuscripts that I don't have any idea. Yeah. I don't know. I've never seen I've never seen dyed parchment in like in real life. I've only ever seen it. Well, maybe when, maybe at the British library when I was like looking through the gallery, but like I've never had a book in my hand that had dyed parchment on it. So I'm kind of jealous that you, that you got to, that you got to I it, haven't even seen, though it, none of the, none of the dyed leaves survive. I've seen yeah. a book with little stubs where dyed little leaves stubs. used to be little stubs. <laughs> little stubs that's kind of that's kind of i mean it's sad that the leaves are gone but it's also it must be a little exciting to like see the stub and to know that it used to be there even though it's gone 
Or did it just make you sad? <laughs> it made me a little sad. It also made me much more confident that I do need to go to the Vatican and see their San Vito mm -hmm. hours on purple parchment because it is complete oh, yeah. and it has not been very well digitized. Is it all on purple parchment or just some of it? I don't remember. I know the calendar is entirely on purple parchment, mm -hmm. but I don't remember the rest of it. I feel like there, it, I, I feel like there are other colors of parchment within it. So it may be entirely dyed parchment, but not all dyed purple. Not all purple, yeah. Cool. Was there any other aspect of the manuscript that you wanted to share? Of, or otherwise, I'll just ask you. I'll just start asking questions. Start asking <laughs> questions. There was no. I had no other high concept to talk about. Yeah. So, so um, I'm going to try to channel uh, Lindsay a little bit. I'm going to try to think like, what would Lindsay ask if she was able to be here? Cause she just wasn't able to make it uh, today, but she's always, she's always interested. And I'm interested too, to know sort of about how you, how you got here. Like you mentioned that you were, you were working at Harvard and then you were able to take classes and you took this class, but what was it? Would, did you know that you wanted to study manuscripts or was it just sort of something that you that you stumbled into? Is there a story there that you can share? Sure. So it's a rambling story. That's um, great. We love we love rambling stories. So I grew up in Baltimore where the Walters Art Gallery exists. Mm -hmm. uh, now the Walters Art Museum, but that's just a change in name. And yeah. so I saw manuscript exhibits as a kid. Um. And then I went to college and I did my undergraduate. I got a double degree in art history and computer science. And then I went on to get a master's in computer science. And then I worked as a jeweler and then I sold wristwatches and then I worked with computers. Wow. And working with computers was is what I've done professionally for the last 18 or so years. Mm -hmm. Eventually I got a job at Harvard doing computer things. But that was the sort of foot in the door to do more Harvardy things. Mm -hmm. And I had taken a couple of classes in the art history department because, as I said, I had an undergraduate degree in art history and computer science courses aren't interesting once you're working in the field, the way art history courses are still interesting if you don't know anything about the topic. And I saw this course listed as taught within the, the framework of the Houghton Library and working with manuscripts. And I said, I want me some of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I went and talked to the professor and explained my situation. And Jeffrey Hamburger said, eh, I don't really <laughs> let, he didn't save randos in the door, but <laughs> he was thinking really, it. He was definitely thinking it. He's like, I don't really let people in, but here, come talk to me in person and we'll, uh, you'll explain your situation. Uh -huh. And so I talked to him and he asked me sort of what my background was. And I told him where I'd gone to college and who my professors was. And he went, oh, oh, he was my graduate advisor. You're fine. Oh my gosh. And so an <laughs> inadvertent name drop got me into the course. Amazing. And then from there, it was after this course that I started working on the books of hours calendars, not 
specifically thinking, hey, I'm going to build a database, but for a much more boring reason of I wanted an excuse to go into the library and look at manuscripts. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to practice my paleography, the reading of these hands. So if I knew if I just went in there and was like, well, I'm just going to flip through this and look at the pictures, I wouldn't get the practice. So I set myself the task of reading through the calendar and I would just be like, well, I'll just copy it into an Excel file. You know, I'll sort of mm-hmm. keep track of it. And, you know, that's kind of interesting, you know, because a calendar looks like a spreadsheet. And then I started doing that. and was like, you know, spreadsheets look like databases and I bet I can make relationships between these and build a thing. And Mm -hmm. then I built a thing and now I've got several hundred calendars transcribed in a giant relational database that I maintain. Do you still copy... um calendars are you actively copying calendars into into your database is it something that you sort of is ongoing absolutely so i actually went up to dartmouth earlier this fall and took a look at their 11 manuscripts and have their 11 books of hours and have been adding those in and um, whenever something pops up at the vatican i add that Mm -hmm. which is a good point so the other manuscript-related digital humanities project that I work on at the moment is uh, tracking manuscripts as they get digitized by the Vatican libraries. Because the Mm -hmm. Vatican has this wonderful collection of some 80,000 manuscripts, and they're doing great work to digitize them. And they tell nobody what's happening and give you no information or any way to figure out what they've done. So I figure out what they have digitized day by day and put together a little weekly blog post says, hey, this past week, they added these 70 manuscripts, you should take a look at them. But that means that when a book of hours gets digitized by them, I can immediately add it in. Add it in. Yes. And I am in I am in at least one discord server with you. And you are always great about sharing the link to that to the blog post with that. And it's amazing just to see how many manuscripts they're digitizing and how many they they put up it's amazing to see how many they digitize it is amazing to me how many manuscripts they have of random 19th century antiquarians just copying down inscriptions Mm -hmm. it's amazing to me how many cardinals wrote plays (laughs) they were whole people they did lots of stuff cardinals they're just like us they write plays like we write plays i don't know so you get to do even though you not you're not working you're not like working in a library you still find ways to do this stuff that you really love to do yes um and i because i come from the computer background i'd like to think that the the data that i've collected is is well organized and not just a collection of Excel files on a Dropbox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is what, well, no, I, I would I would say that's what I would do, which is maybe not giving myself enough credit because I do have a little bit of a digital background, but, you know, but I couldn't build a relational database. I think it's it's awesome that you can do that yourself and you don't have to rely on other people to to do that part of the work. Um, 
Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to ask another Lindsay question. This is one that she likes to ask everybody is if you could see a manuscript, any manuscript in the world and like spend a day with it, what manuscript would you pick? Can I give you a a short list of but not just one? Yes. Yes. Okay. I I, I give you permission. The manuscript that I desperately want to see is actually at the Walters in Baltimore. It is a copy of Petrarch's Triumph, uh, often titled E Triumpho, done by San Vito on this multicolored dyed parchment. It is complete. It has gilt illustrations, but it is in such, it is fragile and the the paint is flaking off in places, Mm -hmm. so they will not let anyone near it. You can't take it. You can't look at it in the reading room. You can't display it. They can't digitize it. We know it's there and no one can see it. Oh, no, it's not even digitized. They have a couple of pages, but definitely not Mm -hmm. the full manuscript. Not the whole thing. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That is so sad. It's such a... I don't know. It's such an interesting position to be in. Like, you know, it's like Schrodinger's manuscript. I don't know. Like, it's there. It's there, but nobody... And it's there, and we know it's there, but you actually can't see it. Because if you see it, it will fall apart. That's really sad. It's sort of the the, the cat in the box. If you look yeah, at the I, manuscript, the manuscript will die. Exactly. So we got to keep it in the box and don't open it. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, that's a good one. I mean, yes, that's a good one. What's your, you said you had more, more than one. That's a good one. So there's a just into the 16th century book of hours in Italy that is called the Durazzo, often referred to as the Durazzo Officiolo, which is sort of the logical conclusion of the Italian book of hours. Like there is no, I'm not aware of any book of hours that comes after this that's that's more developed there are things that like copy or but this is this is the pinnacle this is the most italiany thing possible and it's on purple parchment it's got these ala antiqua borders with little creatures and vases and cameos and it's it's digitized but the lines are so gentle and there's so much gold that I don't, I want to see this one in person. I don't, I don't want to just rely on the the digital facsimile. It's not Mm -hmm. for, for my work, for just transcribing the calendar, a digital image is usually good enough, but for, for getting the feel of this manuscript, there's no way a digital image is good enough. Yeah. Yeah. That, and it's true of, really any in my experience any manuscript that has a lot of gold on it is very hard gold is hard to photograph because it's um because it's reflective and so you sort of have to do things anyway but if you think about at least at least when i think about you know how they would have been read originally it's not like there were like lights in the ceiling you know it would have been either light maybe window light or candle light and it and it would have reflected in a way that you just can't capture in a you know in a photo so i'm definitely with you on that you know needing needing to sort of be with it especially if if as you say the 
did you use the word gentle that the it had sort of gentle lines i love i love that and i'm sure there are plenty of other manuscripts that i'd love to see but those two have sort of particular interest mm-hmm. cool so one more question and this is this is sort of also a lindsay question but it's but i'm doing a different thing so because you because you're you do um I don't know. Do you think of yourself as a digital humanist? I, so part of my origin story that I didn't mention was my master's degree research was computer parser generator for verb forms in Akkadian. So I've been doing computers and humanities for a long time. But that wasn't, digital humanities wasn't a thing when I went to college. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a, a place to do that sort of thing. But I think right. certainly this work that I'm doing now, without getting into the infinite discussion of what is the digital humanities, <laughs> uh, it, it feels like it, this, this work fits. Okay. Because so I, was, I was about to call you a digital humanist, but I didn't want to call you that if you don't consider yourself a digital, a digital humanist. Um, but so, so you've got this, you've got this database, the, um, of the book of hours calendars. And I guess if you could do another project, another sort of computer related, um, project about manuscripts, what, what would it be if you could like do your dream, your dream project that isn't the one that you're already working on? I don't know. Um, I am fascinated with, because I've been working with books of hours so much, I have sort of this depth of experience with manuscripts from about 1350 to about 1500. You know, I've, I've seen hundreds of books of hours. I know the high Gothic in the manuscript world. I don't have very much experience with very old manuscripts. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of manuscripts. I've probably only seen one or two from before 800. And that sort of weird, I don't want to call it the dark ages because that has its problems, but that post fall of Rome, pre Charlemagne, when we've got all those weird regional scripts that are super hard to read and things haven't quite stabilized yet even in terms of of texts that we think of as normative, like the Bible hasn't even stabilized. That time period I find fascinating and is almost impossible to work with in America. But there are a handful of those early manuscripts kicking around here. I don't know what the Digital Humanities Project would be to sort of pick that up. There's already the, the EA Lowe's corpus Latine Antiquores, the, the catalog of every manuscript from before 800, that's already been digitized and it's already been linked. Like these manuscripts are heavily studied, but I want, I want some of that. Mm-hmm. So something to do with those really early manuscripts. Something to do with those really early manuscripts. Um, I have a little bit of a, a, a love also of Italian manuscripts. They get, I feel like they get a little bit of a, a little bit less respect than 
those sort of core French, Flemish, Belgian manuscripts, and and English manuscripts have their own sort of like constituency. Italian manuscripts, I feel like they don't get as much love as they deserve. Mm-hmm. So maybe, so maybe a love a love project for some Italian for some Italian yeah. manuscripts. Yeah, yeah. I think I see that. I see that too. I mean, I definitely know though art historians who study Italian um, manuscripts and get and get really into it. But I think there is something about the like the French the French Gothic is just there's just so much that you can sort of interpret their the fanciness as you know as perfection and beauty when when why when you have this like perfect simple italian they're just really nice why do you need a gothic cathedral when you could have this nice curving renaissance palazzo right, right. i'm right there i think hey, that's great all right well we're just about we're just we've just just about been an hour so do you have anything, any last thoughts or comments before we? I feel like I should, but I don't. That's okay. Thank you so much. This was great. I, I'd never seen this manuscript before. We've, this is actually the first, I think, Italian, later Italian manuscripts book of ours that we've looked at. So, so I love it. Thank you very much. This, I, I always enjoy seeing your podcast come out and I was glad to be able to contribute my own little manuscript to it thank you for listening to inside my favorite manuscript please if you enjoy the podcast leave a rating or a review at apple podcasts or wherever you listen our website is inside my favorite manuscript.tumblr.com And there you'll find posts for all our episodes and a link where you can contact us directly. We'll be back again soon with another conversation about manuscripts and why we love them.